You know, love is both a noun and a verb, isn't it? It's both something that you can have or be given or possess. And it's something that, that you can do. It's something that you can take action upon. That, that a man can have love for his wife. And almost expectantly, we would say that a man having love for his wife would then love his wife. Show love to his wife. Demonstrate love to his wife. That, that we have within the, the word love encapsulated this concept of having, of possessing, of knowing, and at the same time of doing, of acting, of, of taking action upon these things. You know, I think the gospel is like that. That I, I think the way that we understand love to have this, this, twofold, uh, this twofold definition, one of possession, one of being a noun, and the other of being the other of being a verb. I think that we should take that understanding, that that thought, and apply it to the gospel. That first we understand that the gospel is a gift that we receive. It is received not of our own works, not of our own merit, not of the things that we deserve. We actually talked about last week how we are entitled to something much worse than that. We are entitled to wrath. We are entitled to condemnation. But through Christ, through the application of the Holy Spirit, that the gospel is given to us so that we can possess the gospel, so that we can love the gospel, so that we can know the gospel, so that we can treasure the gospel. But I think... For a lot of us, we stop right there. We stop right there. We stop with the understanding of the the gospel as a noun, and we miss that the gospel isn't just something that we know. It isn't just something that we receive. It's now something that we do. It's something that we live out in our lives. That the Holy Spirit comes to us and He convicts us of our sin and He draws us to the Father so that we might cry out and receive the gospel. But then, once received, the Holy Spirit indwells us, applying the gospel to our lives day in and day out so that now we might live out the gospel. This morning, as we kind of bring to a close this series of what is the gospel, we're going we're gonna to look at this final thought that the Holy Spirit didn't just bring us into new life, but the Holy Spirit has now, in fact, indwelt us so that we can walk in new life, so that we can live in new life. And we're going to see from Scripture what that looks like and try to ask the question of what should that look like in our lives. So we've looked so far at the righteousness, the holiness, the justice of God. Then we we looked at the depravity of man, the brokenness of man, the fallenness of man. Last week we saw in the second part of our passage at the beginning of Ephesians 2 how those two ideas can be reconciled and have been reconciled together through Christ Jesus. And so this week we're going to land on what now? How do we live out the gospel now that we have received the gospel? What are we to do now that we have received new life? What does it look like to walk in new life? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me now to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. When you get there, would you stand with me as we prepare to read God's word together? Galatians chapter 5, we're going to begin in verse 16. God's inerrant and sufficient word says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. 
For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, and against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the flesh, let us also keep in step with the flesh. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. You may be seated. For every believer, there is a civil war that is taking place within. For every believer, there is a sense in which our faculties, our mental thoughts, our emotions, our appetites, our desires, our cravings work against who Christ has made us to be and who Christ has called us to be. That those things that we identify as being good are those things that which God often says are harmful to us, destructive to us, even catastrophic for us. And so there's this civil war that is taking place in the life of the believer as the believer both lives in the flesh and is indwelt with the Spirit. And so what, we, what I want us to think about when we think about what it means to live out the desires of the flesh or to live in the flesh is I want us to understand that to live in the flesh means to reassert above Christ, above the God of all creation, that you are the ruler of you. That you decide what you want. You decide what you do. You decide what is best. You decide where you're going to go. You decide what path you're going to take. That it is to reassert in your own life a concept of self-rule, self-indulgence, self-sufficiency, and self-entitlement. That it is to bring into your life the idea that you are strong enough and you are tough enough and you are wise enough and you know sometimes even better than what God knows. That God may be outdated or God may be unreasonable or God may be irrational on a few subjects. And so you are going to reassert your rule according to your desires, according to your understanding. And so there's a civil war that takes place in the believer because the believer has been called out of flesh, delivered from the flesh, and then indwelt with the Holy Spirit, indwelt with the very presence of Christ, the very power of Christ, the discipline of Christ, the courage of Christ, the goodness of Christ has now come into the believer to take residence in the believer so that the believer now might be formed into the image of who God has intended for him, he or she to be. So so think of it like this. You know, last week we talked about how our salvation in Christ is assured, but it's incomplete. Our salvation in Christ is assured, but it's incomplete. That we come into the kingdom of God. We we walk through the, the narrow gate, but when we walk 
through the narrow gate, there's still a path there, right? There's a narrow path that we are now to walk. There is a life of faithfulness that we are now to live. And we all know, all who are in Christ, that when you come into the kingdom of God, you're not immediately sanctified, are you? You're not immediately glorified, are you? You don't come into the narrow gate and then all of a sudden say, oh man, I'm glad I'm done with all of that stuff. That's over, I'm, that's behind me. Now I'm just gonna be exactly who God wants me to be. What all of us know is that it's a battle. It's a battle. It's a battle between who we used to be and who God is making us to be. It's a, God, it's a battle between what we once were and now who we now are in Christ and this transformation that God is doing in our lives to make us more and more into the image of Christ. That for us who still dwell and live in this flesh-tainted body with this flesh-tainted mind and these flesh-tainted emotions as we progress in our sanctification, that what we see is that very often those things that seem right to us are actually damaging for us. That those things that seem right, often God says are not right. And so this battle that we are experiencing within, this spiritual battle that we are experiencing between the flesh and the spirit is the battle between very often what seems right and what is actually right. What seems exciting and what is actually exciting. What seems profitable and what is actually profitable. And so there's this ongoing battle with us. You know, he, he says here, that the flesh is opposed to the spirit, and the spirit is against the flesh. I want you to think about that. That means that one is north and one is south. One is east and one is west. That they are not the same. They are not going in congruent directions. They are not uh, tracking down the same general place. That, that they are so opposite of one another that you cannot say that I am walking in the Spirit while at the very same time say that you are walking in the flesh. That you can't do both. You can't have one foot in the world and one foot in the cross. You can't crisscross these things and use them and enjoy them simultaneously. You can't say, I'm going to enjoy all the things of the kingdom of God. I'm going to enjoy the, the, all of the, the, the parts of, of Christ's righteousness. I'm going to enjoy all the rewards of the kingdom. I'm going to enjoy all the peace that that affords me. I'm going to enjoy all the courage that that gives me. I'm going to enjoy the fullness of life, the abundant life that I have in Christ, while at the very same time saying, I'm going to also enjoy all the things that this world has to offer. I'm going to enjoy all the things that money can buy. I'm going to enjoy all the things that society says are important. I'm going to raise my family to be good citizens of both kingdoms, both the kingdom of America and the kingdom of God. I'm going to raise my family so that we have one foot in each. You can't do it. You can't do it because one is the flesh and one is the spirit and the spirit and the flesh are opposed to each other. They are headed in opposite directions. They are entirely different. And if you find in your heart the desire to have both, if you find in your heart to say that I want all the things of the earth and at the same time I want all the things of the kingdom, what you have revealed in your heart is that you are living in fact in the flesh. Because you see, it's only the flesh that would try to convince you of that. It's only the flesh that would try to convince you that you can have the best of both worlds. It's only the flesh that wouldn't say to follow after Christ means to come and die. 
It's only the flesh that would try to rationalize and, uh, the difficult and direct teachings of the Scripture. It's only the flesh that would try to soften the gospel's call and the gospel's effect for your life. It's the flesh. And by desiring to be in both camps, by desiring to enjoy the fruits of both kingdoms, by desiring to enjoy the spoils on both sides, you are revealing your own allegiance. You're revealing that, that for you, Christ isn't enough. You're revealing that God isn't enough. That the hope that you have of eternity with him in his kingdom is not adequate for you. You need that plus. You need that plus the right address. You need that plus the right career. You need that plus the right husband or wife. You need that plus the right family. You need that plus the right retirement. You need that plus the right savings account. That you need all of those things and you need God. You need all the things that the world says you need and you need all the things that God says you need. And in your mind, the flesh is convincing you that those things are entirely reconcilable. Except that in the Bible, it says that they are against one another. They are opposed to one another. They are, they are headed in opposite directions. One looks toward eternity and one looks toward now. One looks toward a future reward and one looks toward a current reward. One looks toward a future hope and one tries to maximize the time here and now. You cannot pursue both. You cannot leave, live sacrificially in this earth and for the kingdom and at the same time indulge yourselves on the earth. That that in and of itself reveals your allegiance. You see, when you walk by the flesh, you quench the spirit. And when you walk according to the Spirit, you starve out the flesh. That, that if you desire to live out the flesh and you do the things that the flesh calls you to do and you indulge in all the things and all of the appetites that you have, then what you're going to find is that the, the hunger and thirst for the things of God is going to dwindle. What you're going to find, even as a Christian, is that as you indulge yourself on all the trappings of this world and all the spoils of this world, as you try to live more and more like your neighbors in your neighborhood, that what you're going to find is that your commitment to the church is going to decrease. Your passion for God's word is going to decrease. That your hunger for, for knowing God better and knowing God deeper and knowing God richer, richer is going to decrease. Because as you feast on the world, you're quenching the spirit in your life. Every day as you live in the flesh, you are declaring to the spirit, I don't need you. I don't want what you're doing to me. I don't want what you're bringing to be true in my life. I don't want the transformation into holiness that you're offering to me. Have you ever noticed how just a little bit of sin is never enough? Have you ever noticed that? Have you ever noticed how as you sin, and you, you'll, you'll say it like this. I'm just going to look for a second. I'm just going to look for a second. I, I, I'm just going to pull it up on my computer. And I'm just going to glance at it for a second, except you start lingering, don't you? And then you come back the next night, and the next night, and the next night. So in your mind, you just need a little bit of the world. You, you just need a little bit of the, of the satisfaction of the flesh. You just need a little bit of, of indulging yourself on the things that the flesh has to offer. But it's never just a little bit, is it? Because the more that you have, the more that you want. The more that you feed the flesh, the more that the flesh is going to crave. And the more that the flesh is going to be hungry for. And in fact, the more it's going to take to satisfy you next time. 
I, I ju- I'm just gonna I'm just gonna go there just for a, just for a short time. I'm gonna leave. I'm gonna leave before all the stuff happens. I'm gonna leave. Except you get in one conversation, it feels good. You hang out for a little longer and a little longer, and before you know, you are right in the midst of the foolishness. Right? A little bit of sin is not enough. But you know what? The desires of the Spirit work the same way. The desires of the Spirit work the same way. That that if you say, it is the ambition of my life to know God as well as I can know Him. It is the ambition of my life to draw as near to Christ as I can draw. And so you begin, and you say, I I don't really know where to start. I'm just going to do what I know right here. I'm just going to do a little bit. And you begin to, to, to read the scriptures a little bit. And all of a sudden, the spirit in you begins to awaken your mind to the glory of Christ, the glory of the gospel and the scriptures. And what do you want to do? You want to read them more. You want to read them more. You want to begin meditating on them, spending longer times with them. You want to begin memorizing them. You come into the, to the church. You say, it is my ambition to go know as much about Christ as I can know and to love Christ as much as I can love him. And so you come and you're dialed into the, to the sermon. You think, man, I just want more than that. And all of a sudden you start reading things. You start coming on Wednesday night and diving in there. And you start applying yourself in all the groups that are offered. And you, you want to be a part because you want more. Your, your appetite has been, has been tweaked. Your, your appetite has been built up. And now the amount of Christ that you had before is not... Is not enough for you. You want more than that. I'm convinced. I'm convinced that the greatest indictment on the church today is how little of Christ we're okay with. I'm convinced that the indictment upon the church today is how little of God we know and how okay it is we are with what we know. How satisfied we are on the little bit of God's kingdom that has been revealed to us. Oh church, we should walk in the spirit that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness. We should walk in the spirit that we would not be satisfied with the kingdom that we've seen. That we would want to go deeper into the treasures of Christ. We should walk in the spirit that the spirit would awaken in us a new passion and a new desire for the things of God. We should walk in the spirit so that we treasure his mercies that are new every morning we should walk in the spirit that the peace that we have might increase that the joy that we have might increase that the kindness we've seen might increase that all the things of God might increase in our lives and that we would starve out the flesh that is constantly coming against us and constantly leading us away from the things of God he gives us two lists doesn't he I apologize by the way for this I'm I'm on this new medication and it dries my mouth out. So I know I'm looking gross and talking weird and all that. So y'all just, y'all just bear with me. But, but, but Paul kind of clarifies this for us. He, he, he crystallizes this picture for us so that we can see it much more clearly. He gives us two lists. He gives us one list of vices and he gives us another list of virtues. And he says that these are the evidence that these will give you the, this is the evidence of the flesh in your life. This is the evidence of the spirit in your life. That these things, these make the works of the flesh evident. These make the fruit of the spirit evident. That is that we can take our lives and we can hold them in, into comparison with the list that Paul gives. And if we hold them in comparison with the list that God, that Paul gives through, uh, that God gives through Paul, that we're now able to see, am I walking in the flesh or am I walking in the spirit? Am I living according to the flesh or am I living according to the Spirit? Now, I think it's important that we realize these are not exhaustive lists, all right? These lists are not exhaustive. Paul is not saying, all right, it's these nine things and no more. 
Instead, Paul is saying it's all of these and things like these. Okay, At the end of each, he can say, and things like these. This is what the flesh looks like in your life, and it's things like this. Things that you do like this. Things that you do that are that like these are in disagreement with God. Things that you do that are like these that are against the good that God wants to bring into your life. And the fruit of the Spirit, the same way. That, that these are the evidences of the presence of the Spirit. These are some of the defining virtues, some of the defining characteristics for the Spirit-filled man or the Spirit-filled woman and things like these. Those things that you see in God. Those things that you hear God calling you to. So it's these things plus all of those things. The first list that he gives us is the list of vices, those things that reveal the desire of the flesh. Let's read those together, beginning in verse 19. He says, Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I got off, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. So he's saying, he's saying here that there are basically four categories. Like if we were to just take these and we were to divide them up into four categories to kind of help our, our minds wrap around. They're actually, it's actually a fairly chaotic random list, isn't it? Because that's how sin is in our lives. Sin brings chaos into our lives. And so we read this list and it's a, it's a bit chaotic. It doesn't have any kind of neat organization. But I think we can, we can really see at least four different categories here. First, you see sins of sexual immorality, right? Sins of sexual immorality. Next, you see sins that have to do with a wrong relationship with you toward God. Sorcery, uh, idolatry, those things. The, the third category that you see, it has to do with a, a wrong relationship toward others. A wrong relationship with your wife, a wrong relationship with your kids, a wrong relationship with your neighbors, a wrong relationship with your family. That this third category kind of encapsulates someone who is not living in good relationship with other people. The final one we see is something that would be called licentiousness or, or that lack of self-control, that lack of temperance, lack of the ability to, 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 to chastise your life and to hold your life in some sense of discipline. That instead, you live doing whatever you want to do. You live by whatever is wise in your own eyes. You, if whatever your body wants, you just give your body that. Whatever your flesh calls for, you just give your flesh that. And so we see in all of these, and I want you to, to notice, remember what our definition of the flesh was. Our definition of the flesh is that is the to reassert self-control and self-entitlement into your life, right? That is to reassert yourself as being your chief authority. That is to reassert yourself as being the supreme source of wisdom in your life and insight in your life and counsel in your life. Now, think about what he's saying here. Why is it that a person commits sexual immorality? Why is it that a person takes part in sexual immorality? And that is a broad term that basically means any deviation from God's plan for sex. Any deviation from God's plan for sex is abhorrent in God's eyes. It, it can, it can uh, encapsulate homosexuality. It can encapsulate promiscuity. It can encapsulate affairs. It can encapsulate pornography. Anything that is a deviation from God's intention of a monogamous relationship in marriage is considered an act of sexual immorality. And so being in this Acts of sexual immorality. Why does a person do that? Why, why does a person go against God's desire? It's because for a second, they want the thrill. For, for a second, they want their heart, they want their senses to be awakened and to feel alive. It's because they want to feel loved and accepted. 
And even if they know it's just a fling, and even if they know it's not going to last, and even if they know it is against God's desire, in that moment, they feel embraced. In that moment, they feel like somebody wants them. They feel desirable. And so in that moment, they are willing to take part because they want something more. Why? Because they feel entitled to more. And so they are living lives that are not filled with enough joy, that are not filled with enough excitement. They are filled with lives that are not fully treasuring Christ. And because of that, they need to take control. They need to take control and they need to fix it. It's living out the desires of the flesh. Why is it that someone would worship a false god? In their day, for Israel, it was often Baal. For for us, it is often our jobs. It's often our children. It's often the, the dreams and the ambitions that we have. Why is it that a person, even a Christian, might worship a false god? It's because that we have looked to God and he's not been good enough for us. He has not met the standard. You see, the reason that Israel worshipped Baal is because Baal promised prosperity. Baal in the land of Canaan had had brought great prosperity and they had missed the fact that God had designed Canaan to flow with milk and honey because he had designed it by his kindness for his people. And yet they began to worship these false gods out in the wilderness because they wanted it to rain and they wanted to know the prosperity and they wanted all the things that it appeared that Baal could bring. It's the same reason we worship our jobs. It's the same reason that we obsess over our children. It's the same reason that we obsess over our money. It's because we have made them idols. And God, we believe, is not sufficient for all of these things. And so we have rejected him out of control for our own lives. We have rejected him because we feel entitled to more than what he has given to us. What is our issue with our relationships with others? Why do we have rivalries? Why do we have greed? Why do we have envy and jealousy? Why do we have impatience toward others? We have those things because we see in those people entitlements that we believe we are owed. We see things that God has given to them that we think God should have given to us. And so we see those things and we think, I'm going to have to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to have to make this right. I'm going to have to fix this. Why is it that we live out a lifestyle of licentiousness? Why is it that we think frat parties are okay for our college kids? Why is it that we think, why is it that we think that we, because we have reached a certain age, can now engage in all types of immorality and believe that it is perfectly acceptable because of God's grace, some perverted view of God's grace? It is because we have said and we have determined that God is not satisfying enough and that God, the young people, need this thing plus God. They need experiences plus God. They need, they need wild oats plus God. We need more. We need relationships plus God. Sex plus God. Uh, materialism plus God. And so we have asserted control over our own lives to justify the wickedness that is there. These are the deeds of the flesh. These are the, the essence of the flesh. And he says, if you do them, if, a better translation of that is to, to show a pattern of these things. That if you do these things often, if you make these things a habit, if you make these things common practice in your life, then you will not inherit the kingdom of God. That if you need all the things of the flesh and you need all the things of the kingdom of the earth, and that is the pattern of your life, and that is the habit of your life, and that is the, the, the direction and trajectory of your life, then the direction and trajectory of your life does not include the kingdom of heaven. The trajectory of your life does not include salvation and being delivered from your sin because you still love your sin. 
It doesn't matter what you said one time. It doesn't matter what you did one time. It doesn't matter what was done to you one time. That this is the truth of Scripture. That if you make a habit to live in the flesh, and you love the flesh, and you indulge the flesh, and you feed the flesh, you are not in the kingdom of God. So there's a second list. There's a second list that he gives to us. And it's a list of virtuous character, isn't it? And, and it's so different from the first list. The first list he calls works. I want to talk about that again in a minute. He talks about these things as, as being works, and they are mostly outward behaviors that you identify, that you can see, right? That you can experience. But in the second list, this, this list of virtues, they are not so much behaviors as they are things that are, have to do with your inward character, have to do with your inward integrity. Let's read that list together, here, beginning in verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. So he gives us the second list, and I think this one breaks down much more neatly, doesn't it? Yeah, I have these, these, three, these three sets of threes, these, these three triad groupings, right? So, so the first three that we have there kind of go together, right? Love, joy, peace. So first, it has to do with your right relationship with God. Let's look at the second, the second two. So, and then it's kindness, goodness, faithfulness. It has to do with your relationship to God. Or to other people. And then that third group, it says gentleness, uh, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And that has to do more with the relationship that you have with yourself. So it's a right view of God, it's a right view of others, and it's the right view of yourself. That these things come together in the fruit of the Spirit. And what I think Paul is teaching to us here is that in the fruit of the Spirit, that if we have the fruit of the Spirit coming to bear in our lives, that it in fact will come to bear in every area of our lives. It's not just specific behaviors, it's your view and perspective from earth. That the problem with the flesh is that you're viewing all of life, you're viewing all of your life, you're viewing this life and the next life, all of eternity, in fact, from the wrong perspective. And so as we look to the second list, as we look to the fruit of the Spirit, what it's showing us is that it zooms us out so that we can have the right view of God, the right view of others, and the right view of ourselves, so that we can see these things from God's perspective, so that we can see these things from the Spirit's perspective. So it has to do with how you treat your wife and how you treat your kids and how you treat your boss and how you treat your employees. It has to do with how you spend your money or how you don't. It has to do with your temper that you have or the temper that you don't. It has to do with your impatience toward people that you're teaching or it doesn't. It has to, to do with, with all areas of life, all purchases, all relationships, all views, all worship. It has to do with your view of the scriptures. It has to do with your view of worship. It has to do with your view of, of church. It has to do with your view of home and of family and of sports and of hobbies and of leisure. All of these things are encapsulated in the character of the Spirit, in the virtue of the Spirit, so that if someone has the presence of the Holy Spirit in their lives, the Holy Spirit will begin to permeate all of their life. He will filter through all of life, and He will slowly and progressively change you out of who you used to be into who God wanted you to be, so much so that it will be apparent across the board. Now, there's still going to be areas in which you're stronger in than others, but you're going to grow in your strengths and in your weaknesses. You're not going to be as weak as you used to be tomorrow because you're growing and the Spirit is forming you. He's using your circumstances. He's using your life. He's using your job. He's using all of these things. 
Now, there's a great irony here. There's a great irony here. Why is it that we do the things of the flesh? You see, we do the things of the flesh because we want the things of the Spirit. You ever thought about that? The very reason that we indulge the flesh is because we want what the Spirit can give. We want love, right? We, we want joy. We want peace. We want goodness. We want kindness. We want those things that are offered to us in the Spirit, and we go about getting them by indulging the flesh. We think, if I just had the right relationship, if I just had the right marriage, and so I'll do whatever I've got to do to get him to marry me. It doesn't matter what he asked me to do. It doesn't matter how we have to sleep around together. It doesn't matter where we go. It doesn't matter what we spend our money on, what we spend our time. I'm going to become whatever he needs so that I can be married to him because that's my shot at love. That's my shot at joy. That's my shot at contentment. I'm going to buy whatever I can. It doesn't matter if I have the money or if I don't. It doesn't matter what I'm doing to advance God's kingdom or I'm not. It doesn't matter what I, whatever I want because I need to feel some happiness right now. Because I need to know something good right now. Because I need something that I can enjoy right now. I'm going to buy whatever it is today and I'll probably come back and buy something else tomorrow once the high has come down. You see, the reason that we live according to the desires of the flesh is that we want, we crave, we are hungry for the things, the fruit of the Spirit. But what you and I all know is you can't buy joy, can you? You can't success your way to peace, can you? You can't have a, a bank account or a retirement big enough so that, so that you can now know goodness the way that God offers it. You, 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 you can't promote or, 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 or get and achieve ambition and all of the goodness finally come. What most of us are doing is we're running on a treadmill of the American dream and we're running and we're running and we're running and we can see it just right out there in front of us. If we had the intellect of that person, if we had the knowledge of that person, if we had the family of that person, if we had the career and the finances of that person, then if we could just get there, if we could just cross that threshold, then we will have love, then we will have joy, then we will have peace, then we will know kindness, then we will know goodness, then we will be gentle, then we will be self-controlled. That if I can just have what everybody else in college has right now, if I can just get to where he is one day, then on that day, when I finally arrive, when I finally cross over the threshold, then I will be at peace inwardly. Then when I have that house, that address, that car, then, then I will have everything that God owes to me and then I can begin to live out. But what all of us know, brothers and sisters, is that it's never enough. It's never enough. You never get all the things that you need. You never cross enough thresholds so that you can be at peace within, so that you can feel love within, so that you can have joy within. You can never success or American dream your way to enough heights so that all of those things come together for you. No, those are virtues. Those are gifts. Those are rewards that are only offered to you by God himself. See, the thing is, is that every person in this room knows that. You know it. You know that it's true because you were taught young. You know that it's true because there is, there is something impressed upon your own spirit 
that is constantly crying out for the things that God offers to you. That God and God alone brings into your life. There's something in you, inwardly craving. And you all have at some point had a friendship that you thought would do it and didn't do it. You've had a paycheck that you thought would do it and didn't do it. You've accumulated possessions that you thought would do it and didn't do it. You had security financially and personally that you thought would do it and it didn't do it. You know this doesn't work. You know this isn't true. Can I ask you, are you living that way? Are you living that way? Are you living like happiness can't be bought? Are you living like success can't bring joy? Are you living like the achievement of your ambitions and the advancement of your dreams can't bring kindness into your life? Are you living that way? You see, every time, every single time that we live according to the flesh, we're buying into a lie. Every single time we, we live according to the flesh, we're buying into a lie. We're either believing that God isn't going to give us anything good or that God is calling us to something bad. We're either believing that God hasn't given us enough good or that God is calling us towards something that is bad. That's the only reason we would disobey Him is that we believe we have a better plan for good or we have a, a better plan for, to avoid the bad. And so the reason that we live out the desires of the flesh, the reason that we don't walk in the Spirit is that we believe that God is calling us towards something bad or keeping us from something good and keeping us from something good. We just don't want it. We believe, in other words, that God is oppressing us with His boundaries, that God is oppressing us with His Word, that God is oppressing us with His standards, that God is oppressing us with the Gospel. And since He is oppressing us, we will chart a new path and we will go a new way by our wisdom by our intellect in our likeness i had a dog the best dog i ever had named rambo and we kept rambo in a fence because we live right on the edge of a busy road and what rambo would do every time he had some kind of superpower he would get out of this fence it didn't matter what i staked down it didn't matter what i buried he would dig his way out of the out of the fence and you know what he did every single time he cried he would get on just on the other side of the fence. He wouldn't even go anywhere. He would get on the other side of the fence and then he would stand at the gate of the fence and he would cry, the awfulest cry that you have ever heard, wanting to get back in the fence. Brothers and sisters, how many of you does that look like your life? How many times have you tried to escape the will of God and escape the call of God and escape the standards of God, believing that the boundaries of God were oppressive to you? But once you got into those relationships, once you got on the outside of the fence of God's will, you looked back in and you cried and you longed, oh God, would you just let me back in? Oh God, could I have that peace that you had once given me? Oh God, can I have the joy of my salvation returned to me? You want to know the truth? I have no intentions of saying this. You want to know the truth about why I'm selling my house? Many of you have asked. I have no desire to leave the church. You want to know why I'm selling my house? Because I'm tired of living a lie. Because I'm tired of living a lie. I'm tired of believing that if I just get one more status symbol, if, I just, if, my, if my family just moves forward one more step, if we just accumulate one more thing that is good, and there is nothing wrong with a house, many of you have very nice homes and you are not idolizing it. But brothers and sisters, I was. I 
was. And I was living a lie. I was living believing that the place that I live, the address that I have, the home I come home to defines who I am. And all of my energy and all of my work and all of my savings was going to this one idol in my life. And it was running on the treadmill of the American dream. Brothers and sisters, they are lies. They are lies. You know that it's true. The question that I've had to ask myself and the question that you're going to have to ask yourself is are you living like it? Are you living like it? Are you living as though Christ is all you need? Are you giving like Christ is all you need? Are you serving like Christ is all you need? Are you raising up your family to say that Christ is all I need? Brothers and sisters, if we're going to send missionaries out from here, if we're going to send church planners out from here, if we're going to send out people that are going to make a difference in the kingdom of Christ, we're going to be sending out your children and your grandchildren. Brothers and sisters, are you raising them to know that Christ is enough? Are you raising them to know that the fruit of the Spirit does not come through the checkbook and the fruit of the Spirit does not come by social esteem, but that the fruit of the Spirit comes by the indwelling power of God and that the deeper you go into the fruit of the Spirit, the more you will want Him and the more you will have Him and the more you will love Him and He will transform you. Are you raising them that way? Or can they not tell you apart from the neighbors? Can they not tell you apart from those who are walking down the wide path, the path that most people are on, the path of destruction, the path of cultural nominal Christianity that acknowledges Christ with our lips but fails to treasure Christ with our hearts? Notice what he says at the end. Notice what he says at the end. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. See, he's talking about here living out the gospel, walking in the spirit, doing things, doing things in the name of the of Christ by the power of the Spirit, and doing things with one another. And brothers and sisters, what I want you to understand is that is part of the gospel. That is part of the gospel. Jesus came and he said, "Repent, for the kingdom of God has come." And you know how the kingdom of God is continuing to come in the twenty first century. It is continuing to come through us, through us through our obedience, through our, our faithfulness to the Spirit, to our faithfulness in the kingdom of God, so that wherever we go, it is clear that Christ is bringing all of the creation in submission to Himself. And that is evident because we, His church, are living in submission and obedience to Him. It is making clear the coming reign of Christ because Christ reigns in me. And what He says is He says, the relationships that you have one another gives us to one another's the relationships that you have with one another, how is the world going to see the gospel through you, through the way that you care for and love each other? How is the world going to know that Satan has been vanquished and that the kingdom has been vindicated by looking at you and the way that you are toward one another, the way that you love one another, the way that you give and serve one another? How is the world going to know that the gospel is the answer and not more sex and not more more relationships and not more friends it's going to know it because of the church because he sees it they see it in you and the way that you care for one another because the gospel isn't just something that you have received but brothers and sisters it is something that you are now living out let's pray together